Sarah Jemian. And I'm Tom Zalatni. And you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. There's a moth in the studio. That's the other rule, <laughs> is that you don't like moth. So <laughs> I'm a little distracted. <laughs> Just eat it. Oh boy. Well, before we dig in, we want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where we're recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. Uh, we want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. Yeah, so the topic of today's episode uh, is one that I think is going to lend itself pretty well to talking about like ways to be good stewards of the land that you live on uh, and and ways to kind of connect with the like history and and culture and like roots of the place absolutely and also i think very uh uh, explicitly talking about indigenous culture and how that is really inextricable how indigenous practices and teachings are are inextricable from um having any kind of like land-centric food ethos yeah god that was a lot of i'm sorry i've been getting into my like my college readings, I'm just like in very much of a discourse kind of mode right now, but... Just blame the moth. Yeah, if I use big words today, sorry, I will try to... Just if I use a big word, mm-hmm. you have to like stop me and be like, what does that mean? Okay? I'll get the air horn ready. Okay, because well, I might get... N- you don't want the air horn. <laughs> <laughs> Can you have something like a little nicer, like a noise that's like slightly nicer than an air horn? <laughs> Maybe like a little confused noise? <clears throat> Do we have- <laughs> Can I give you one of those every time you yeah. use a word I don't understand? Yeah, right, yeah that works. So just for people uh, at home to recap, there's a moth in the studio. We're both a little caffeinated because we had a little spressy after dinner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I don't understand a word Teffer says tonight, I'm going to go, uh-huh. <laughs> All right, because I might get a little bit into my into my big words pants yeah. today. So, so a little while ago, one of our guests on the show, uh, Alex, asked us if we would be able to talk a little bit about seasonal eating. It was asked as one of our like Q and A questions. Yeah, and I was immediately like, "We this can't be a Q and A question. Right. Like this is huge. Like yeah. this is this is a like interesting and fun and something we should do an episode on. And B like I can't do that as a Q and A answer." Like I can, yeah. I can say like do this, do that, but like we this go is deeper. this is a deep topic, and yeah. like even preparing for this episode, I was like, okay, we're going to talk about seasonal eating. Oh, well, you can't talk about seasonal eating without talking about this, and you can't talk about this without talking about that, and you can't talk about that without talking about this. So we're going to kind of just go step by step. Uh, uh, from the sort of simple thing of seasonal eating all the way out to food sovereignty, which is mm-hmm. what this is actually about. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, and of course, if at any point during this conversation, you, the listener, don't know what we're talking about, you're welcome to also go, <clears throat> or, you know, keep listening and hopefully we will... Uh cover it enough in ways that make it make sense to you yeah i mean finish the episode and if you still have questions feel free like i i am always ready to answer you can contact me you can hit me up on instagram and be like hey tapper i didn't understand what you were talking about can you explain this point and i will be happy to do so yeah yeah you can also just send a voice message that just goes "Uh you can do that and tapper will know what you mean i will know what you mean sort of 
Okay, so I said that to talk about seasonal eating, we have mm-hmm. to talk about this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. The first thing. This. That you, this. The first this. You can't talk about seasonal eating without talking about local eating. Right. Because seasons are not uniform. Right. Um, so obviously we have the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere. We're in the northern hemisphere. Which means our <laughs> spring is like, you know depending on on where you live, like roughly February through May. And then our fall is roughly like September through to November. Mm -hmm. And then if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, those are kind of flipped. Right. But in addition to that, you know, here where we are in Quebec, spring is basically April and May. Yeah. Like spring does not really start before April. No. Uh, maybe mid-March if we're lucky. Yeah. You go a little bit further south, not very much further south. Like even Toronto is about a month ahead of us. Mm-hmm. You know, microclimates affect this. Right. So when we're talking about seasonal eating, the first thing really, well, maybe not the first thing. I think the, the, the two things are to be aware of when your seasons are. Right. But then also to be aware of uh, what grows in your area in a particular season right because like technically if you are eating things that are from all over the globe you can eat things that are in season where they were grown year round no matter what time of year it is for you right exactly that's not what we mean when we say seasonal eating we don't mean like well it's you know midwinter for us but like this summer fruit grew in the other hemisphere and that's in season like exactly. that, that's that's nonsense that's mm-hmm. not what we mean mm-hmm. we mean like well, that's really seasonal i mean i would say that's not nonsense necessarily that's just a good point to highlight why sure. it's really important like seasonal is is geographic yeah. as well as temporal yeah i think when i say that's nonsense what i mean is that making that argument is pedantic and if yes. you're being pedantic you are a nonsense person yes. you know what i mean agreed <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of reasons to eat seasonally i think the most practical reason to eat seasonally is that you are going to get the best food mm. if you're eating according to your local like growing calendar sure because the food that you will eat will be very fresh it will have been harvested very recently so it will have like the most nutritional bang and it'll also taste better right um so that's kind of like i feel like that is the like basic big reason to eat seasonally is like it's gonna be good it's gonna be good food it's gonna taste better yeah and like on a practical level beyond that like it will often be cheaper it will often be cheaper. Not um, like not always, to be fair, but like often. Often it will be cheaper. And the reason it'll be cheaper is quite simply that there are fewer middlemen. So mm-hmm. you're actually buying, either you're buying direct from the grocery store, which has bought directly from the producers rather than from an importer. Mm-hmm. Or you're actually, in the case of a farmer's market, which we will get to later, uh, or a co-op or something like that, you are buying directly from the farmers. Right. So it's it's cheaper because you're paying fewer people for mm-hmm. your food. Um, it's better because it's fresher, mm-hmm. um, and that's just going to be tastier. Mm-hmm. Like, fresher mm-hmm. food is tastier. But the other element of it, uh, and this is, I think, the element people talk about the most when they talk about seasonal eating, and is also kind of why I didn't want to start with it, because mm-hmm. it's not the only reason, um, is the question of ethics. Uh, right. And the question of ethics being both environmental and, like, labor ethics. Right. Yeah. 
So environmentally speaking, first of all, when you're eating locally, that thing about middlemen and no importers and stuff, that means your food is not traveling far. Mm -hmm. And if your food is not traveling far, that means your food has a much smaller carbon footprint because your food is coming on a truck from somebody's farm to the grocery store. um, And that's maybe, you know, 100 kilometers, maybe a little more depending, but Mm -hmm. like... It's not that far. Sure, yeah. Whereas if you're ordering your, yeah, your strawberries from Chile in the winter, those strawberries have to come on a barge from Chile and then on a truck from wherever they landed. (laughs) So there's a lot of travel time going in. Right. Not to mention they have to be harvested before they're fully ripe so that they can ripen on the way, um, which means they're not going to have as much flavor because strawberries that ripen on the plant will be more flavorful because they get more sun and that produce more sugar. Right. Yeah. It tastes better. Yeah. So lower carbon footprint or smaller carbon footprint, rather, feet are not lower or higher. They are smaller or bigger. <laughs> and the other issue of labor. Mm-hmm. This obviously depends on where you live. Sure. Yeah. But in Canada, we have minimum wages. Mm-hmm. And while we do absolutely have <laughs> a lot of underpaid migrant workers who work off the books and it's important to research the farms that you're buying from and make sure that you're not actually uh, buying food from a bunch of people whose passports have been confiscated by the farmer that they're working for, because mm-hmm. that happens in Canada mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but for the most part... It is easier to access knowledge about the labor practices on the farm that you're buying from if it's local. Yeah. And, you know, one way to do that is just to buy from smaller farms. Another really great way, I'm going to talk about this more later, but like one thing that I think is just so helpful and so great is to do like a CSA box with a farm. That's what we Mm. call it in in the U.S. I think here we just call them like produce boxes. (laughs) I feel like I've heard that Um, too, but I I couldn't tell you what it is. Oh, wait, hang on. Uh, panier bio is what we call it in French, uh, which is just... Community-supported agriculture? Yes. There we go. Yeah. And I'll talk about these more later, um, but I think these are really great because you are buying directly from the farmer. Mm-hmm. You get to know your farmer. Um, and it's also really great for farmers because uh, people buy the subscriptions up front, which means they're able to get money at the beginning of the growing season, mm-hmm. which is not something that's easy right. with farming. It's a really good way to make sure that the, the food producers are getting paid decently for what they're mm-hmm. providing. And it's also a way like a lot of the Peña Bio systems, um, you can actually go to the farm. They'll have days throughout the year where you can like go and like help with the harvest right. and see the fields and meet the workers. And you just like you can get a good sense yeah. of who is producing your food. And, you know, if they're like... <laughs> being treated okay right yeah and (laughs) Um, and like obviously you said this before but like to reiterate like we don't we're not speaking for a universal experience here right like there are obviously going to be no matter where you are in the world there's going to be some kind of local system local growers local farmers they're going to be varying levels of ethical themselves right so i think it's important that we mention like one obviously yes like this is our own context yeah that we're speaking from for the most part and two like when we talk about ethical consumerism it's really important that you know like if you are not in a place where you're able to do all of these things that does not make you an unethical person 
No, absolutely not. <laughs> and I think that's actually one of the things with seasonal eating that's really nice is that it kind of makes it easier. Sure. Like yeah. if you're just going to your grocery store, I mean, not all grocery stores have this, but most grocery stores know where the food is from. Yeah. At least country, but like around here, we'll get it from province. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's similar in the States where they'll say what state it's from. Probably, yeah. So you can kind of look and be like, oh, okay, these apples are from Quebec and these apples are from Chile right. and they're a similar price. And so I'm just going to go with the Quebec ones. And it's like an easy way to do it. And like yeah. you said before, often cheaper. So like at least in Quebec, Quebec has a really strong agricultural mm -hmm. like culture. And I've lived here for 15 years. So I really don't know like how general this experience is. Right, yeah. But I know that in Quebec, when you go to the grocery store, there will be a like little like fait en Quebec, like made in Quebec sign yeah. with a little fleur de lis. And uh, the nice thing is, like you said, often it's cheaper because it's in season. Yeah. That's it. So there are a lot of ways to do this. And I'm going to talk more about this because I think seasonal eating is one of those buzzwords mm -hmm. that kind of um, it's a virtue signal a yeah. lot of the time. And I mean, I don't think that is at all where Alex was coming from when he no, asked no, this no. question. He was just like, I'm really curious about doing this. Like, yeah, I think yeah, it's sure. fun. No, but that's it. This is just me making sure that there's that caveat. Exactly. In here of like, like, we're not trying to virtue signal when we talk exactly. about this stuff. And we want to be very clear that like part of the MO of no bad food is that like there is no bad food. And that includes yeah. if you are in a position in, wherever you are, yeah. for whatever reason, where you cannot do these things, that doesn't make the food you're eating bad. And it doesn't yeah. make you a bad person for eating it. Well, you know? I mean, if, for example, <laughs> you live in a community above the Arctic Circle where you're like, uh, usually people would hunt and forage, but you can't because you live under capitalism and you have to drive a school bus in order to pay your taxes um, and all of the imported food like all of the food in the grocery store comes from a thousand kilometers away where there are farms mm -hmm. and so it all costs $70 a kilo or like $70 per, for a cantaloupe um, you know obviously in that case like <laughs> you do what you gotta do that's you it. eat what you gotta eat and that's an extreme example but yeah. like capitalism and the industrial food complex which I'm gonna talk about puts us all in a really difficult position. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I really like things like CSA programs that put consumers directly in touch with farmers is because we get to sidestep it just a little. Yep. We're not sidestepping it entirely, but we're sidestepping it a little bit, yeah. um, both for the farmers and for the consumers. Yeah. That said, like, look into your programs because there is, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to get sued, but there is a, probably the primary produce box company in Quebec that kind of took the CSA program and was like, we can market this and make it into a business. And it's it's almost like, I don't know, it's like Uber Eats of farming. Oh my God. And if you're local, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, they treat their workers really badly. Yeah. And, you know, I know people who have worked for them and like, don't. You know, go with your go find a farm that not everybody knows about. Yeah. Like try to find try to find a farm that's doing it for the first time, man. Mm. You'll get a lot of greens the first mm -hmm. year, but it'll be a really satisfying experience. This is this is an extra thing to say about like supporting local mm -hmm. is that when you start to build relationships with the people who are providing the food, occasionally they're gonna give you gifts. Yeah. They're gonna be nice to you. Yeah. Like you get like you can you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't start doing this just so that you can potentially get free shit. But what I'm saying is there can be benefits beyond just the like, good feeling you get from it. Because like, like anything where you build a relationship and you network with people, 
that can pay off in dividends and that can be more than what it looks like on the surface. You know? And it's community building. Yeah. I mean, quite simply, just like with CSA boxes, I've done it a lot. When something's in season, you get a ton of it. Right. So like if it's tomato season, you might get a whole crate of tomatoes that you right. can can. Like yeah. that might happen. And that's no no extra cost. Right. When I was doing it, it was several years ago. When I was doing it, it was coming out to like 30 bucks a week. And I'm sure it's more now, mm-hmm. but like it's 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 really good. It's a good yeah. deal. <laughs> but I'm getting way ahead of myself. I have gotten so far ahead of myself here. So seasonal and local go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I could say the first thing to do is to identify your seasons and your growing seasons and, you know, find out what's in season when. But really, actually, simply speaking, the first thing you can do is go to the grocery store and identify what comes from where you are, your state, your province, your region. Go to a farmer's market and look around at the stalls and see what's in the stalls and take note of what's in the stalls and then go back in two weeks and see what has changed. (laughs) Like, honestly, if you just go to the farmer's market every two weeks and pay attention. If you're going to the big standing farmer's market, like in Montreal, we have big, like, permanent farmer's markets, Mm -hmm. like Atwater and Jean-Talon. And if you're going to something like that, you do want to pay attention and make sure it's got the little, like, Fayon Quebec sign. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a city where it's, like, a traveling farmer's market that, like, puts up booths in your neighborhood once a week, you're pretty good. Like, that's Mm going to be local stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So do that. You know, and you will start to see what's in season. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad we're doing this episode now because right now in the Northern Hemisphere is a great time to Mm -hmm. start looking into eating seasonally and locally Mm -hmm. because it's it's July like we're at the very beginning of harvest. We're not in true harvest season, but, you know, there are berries and there are little Mm -hmm. greens and there are radishes. All the early crops are available. Zucchinis, cucumbers. And they're just really nice things to eat. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a really good time. Like this is a time where you can go to the farmer's market and pay 20 bucks and come back with just like so much food. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like we we went a couple weekends ago with the kids and and with our patron Chantal, uh, I won't say which one, to one of the farmer's markets. Yeah. here and like we're still I, eating that food we're still eating that food and yeah. i had like i had an idea in my mind of the maximum that i was willing to spend that day and i spent about half that much and you bought cheese and i got cheese and yeah. and and gave and yeah. like chocolate and candy and shit too yeah. that was definitely not you know necessarily yeah. local well, we but also it was tasty got really good ice cream and like really good yeah and it's like i still managed to spend half what i thought i was going to spend because i've gotten used to grocery store prices yeah. And it's like, oh, you can actually, like, sure, did I have to trek across town and spend money on bus tickets and, like, mm-hmm. you know, walk around a lot more in order to do it? Yes. Can you argue that, like, the cost of, you know, the tickets and the, the time and the physical effort maybe makes the, the price difference slightly less? I don't know, maybe. But, like... I still spent a lot less than I would have yeah. if I had gotten all that. From the and a lot store. less than if we had gone to the grocery store every couple of days. Yeah. Like we usually do. Yeah. You know, and bought in small batches. Like <laughs> exactly. It's it's cost efficient if that's you it. can do it. If that's you can it. manage. Which is that's it. Like again, <clears throat> you know, the reason that I put a, that caveat in there of like, is it necessarily worth it when I get tired after or whatever, is because there are days when I don't have the energy for that kind of yeah. thing, right? And so like, and I am someone who I think probably has like medium, le- like I would say I have slightly below average levels of energy for excursions. I am not someone who like has very few spoons in the morning, yeah. but I am not someone who has like 
average person levels of spoons either and somewhere kind of in between yeah you do not have average level people people spoons no you don't have spoons people you're not a spoons people and for anyone listening to this who's confused about what that means go look up spoonies and you will understand it's a chronic illness conversation um but basically when you are somebody with a chronic illness whether that's physical or mental it's like if somebody asks you to borrow a spoon and you have a dozen spoons you can be like sure just give it back but if somebody asks to borrow a spoon and you have two spoons you might be like And let's say it takes one spoon to go to the farmer's market, right? Anyway, and so that's why I'm saying, like, you can go to the farmer's market, you can sign up for a CSA, Mm -hmm. but you can also just go to your grocery store, the same grocery store you always go Mm -hmm. to, and just pay attention to where things come from. And I think a fun thing with seasonal eating, because right now, so far, it mostly sounds like this is a good thing to do, but we haven't gotten to, like, the the thing that makes it engaging and fun beyond just, like, learning, which, you know is engaging but yeah the, the thing that I find fun with seasonal eating is if you challenge yourself to just get stuff that's local and like in season you don't necessarily have your menu in mind when you get there yeah and you get that kind of extra little puzzle of like okay these are the things that I just found that are in season what can I do with this right yeah and that I think any time that you can challenge yourself in the store do it yeah because then you you become a better cook it's really interesting actually this is like kind of a side note but Um, I've always been kind of like hard on myself because I don't meal plan and because I have a lot I really struggle with meal planning sure and like something about our culture makes it seem like if you are an adult you should meal plan every week right (laughs) like you should know what you're eating all week Mm -hmm. and I can't do that like I just I'm just like I don't know what I'm gonna want to eat on Wednesday how can I plan what I'm gonna eat on Wednesday I don't know and I actually saw a really interesting video where uh, it was somebody who was from a big family and they hadn't had much money. And so she had her mom come on and talk about how do you feed people on a low budget. And the first thing she said was don't meal plan. Mm. And I felt so validated because what yeah. she said next was, you know, first here are the pantry staples that you should always get, you know, mm. carrots, mm. onions, whatever, beans. Big bag um, of rice. Yeah. yeah. But what you do is you go to the grocery store and you see what is on sale mm. and you buy what's on sale and you plan your menu around that. Sure. And that is how I shop and that right. is how I cook. <laughs> yeah. And it never occurred to me that that was from growing up low income mm-hmm. in a low income family that cooked specifically, right. you yeah. know. But that is. That's how we did it. We didn't meal plan. It would be, okay, what do we have in the fridge? What's at the grocery store? What's cheap? What's in the garden? What are we going to make with this? I will say, for us, that is fun. For us, that is a fun (laughs) thing to do. For many people, that is not a fun thing to do. Exactly. Uh, Especially for people who didn't grow up cooking, um, who don't watch just oodles of guys grocery games don't freak out if that's you like this can mean okay I've decided I'm going to have pasta today mm-hmm. now I'm going to see what I'm going to have with my pasta sure yeah. or I've decided that in addition to like I'm having craft dinner tonight I want craft dinner tonight but maybe I'm also going to make a salad sure and I know that it's a season where there's going to be nice salad things at the grocery store yeah. for cheap. Right. So I'm going to go make a little salad. Well, exactly. Like, there's so many ways to do it in a le- – or just like, I don't know, I got to talk about fruit. Well, I'm doing this episode. I got to talk about fruit. I was actually like – What was fruit just do thinking, I want to have in the house to snack on? That's exactly <laughs> it, right? Like, I was, I was just thinking, like, what's the, like – because I'm thinking, like – 
I get lazy sometimes, often, with food. So for me, I'm like, okay, what's the... I, I want to rephrase that. Sure. You don't get lazy with mm-hmm. food. I get low energy. You are not... You don't always feel like being creative cooking. Sure. That's it. Yeah. It's not lazy. It's just that... Sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And and I think part of that is like working in food. Sometimes I get home and I'm like, I don't want to do this for any more hours of the day, right? Yeah, of course. And, <laughs> yeah. But also like, yeah, there's definitely days where I'm just like, oof, I don't have the energy. I don't want to put in effort right now. And so I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, Assuming there are people who have even less willingness to put in the energy and the effort to cook than I do. Or even less energy. Yeah. What can you seasonally eat? And it's like, yeah, the answer is snacks. (laughs) The answer is snacks. Or, I mean, you want to call it snack plate, charcuterie board, girl dinner, whatever you want to call it. Girl dinner? This is a TikTok thing. Oh, God. (laughs) Boy dinner is pizza that's still in the bed. Um, (laughs) Whatever you want to call it. Like... That's a meal, you know, get a cheese you like Mm -hmm. or some nuts you like Mm -hmm. and some bread you like and whatever fruits and veggies are seasonal. And like, I don't know, a thing of hummus or make your own hummus Mm -hmm. like hummus is easy to make and it's delicious. Did you know that? It's true. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it, right? Like you can you can see how do I shop locally and eat seasonally as just a like what fruits and veggies should I put in my house at any given time? And then like because because yeah, like. For staples like rice and pasta and things like that, doing those locally and seasonally is not really as much of a thing. It's not practical. <laughs> yeah. So, he, yeah. But like I, fruits and veggies is where it really comes down to, you know? And, fruits and, and veggies yeah. and meat, uh, if sure. you're somewhere where that's where that's an option. Yeah. So when I started thinking about eating seasonally, because this is something that's been like, I mean, I would say all of my adult life, mm-hmm. this has been something that has been important to me. Yeah, certainly uh, as I long followed. as I've known you, yeah. Oh, way before, way yeah. before we met. The first time I started thinking about it was in high school. Mm. And like many white academic people, my relationship to it started with Barbara Kingsolver, um, who is an author like, you know, Bean Trees, Pigs in Heaven. But she wrote a whole series of essays around food and climate, mostly. Mm. And she also writes quite a lot about the, like, urban-rural split and how it hurts everybody. Right. (laughs) Um, And her stuff is good. So I started reading her essays, and then I did a project at the end of high school that we had to do, like, a big senior project um, where we had to take, like, an ethical issue and sort of dissect it. Right. And I chose the, like agricultural industrial complex Mm -hmm. to talk about and started reading up on it and just my conclusion from it was and my conclusion every time I start researching this stuff is like oh yeah like the easiest way to make the biggest impact with how I eat is just to eat locally as much as possible sure yeah so this was around like I graduated high school in 2009 and around 2010 I'm gonna say like kind of five years in either direction there was a huge fad in the publishing industry of like writing about this stuff so there was Michael Pollan right was writing Omnivore's Dilemma and Barbara Kingsolver was writing her essays and there were a lot of like autobiographical works from people who decided to you know give up their job in the big city and buy a farm there was just so much of it so that was what I was reading and now in retrospect it's all very white it's all very kind of colonial in the sense that it's these people being like and then I sort of invented this or like got back to my grandparents roots so it's like a step right you know these books are a step 
forward. Yeah. The one that really impacted me, two, two that really impacted me, one is called The 100 Mile Diet, uh, which is what I was thinking of um, and why I brought this up now, because in The 100 Mile Diet, it's a couple who, A, live in the Pacific Northwest, so like, or maybe even Northern California. Like, they live somewhere where, no, I think they're outside of Vancouver. Anyway, they live somewhere where things grow year-round, and yeah. I think that's very essential <laughs> to note, and they live near the ocean, and like... Yeah. But it's a couple who decided to, for a whole year, eat only things that could be sourced within 100 miles. Yeah. Um, I think they had a few cheats. Like, I think they still drink coffee. Um, but, like, like they were allowed a few, like, yeah. like you know, cheat codes or whatever. Uh, and it was really interesting because, yeah, they were like, oh, we can't eat rice. Oh, we can only eat, like, grain things that have been grown and milled within right. 100 miles. Right. And so they yeah, had yeah. to, like, find a farm that did that, right, right. and yeah, a yeah. mill <laughs> that did that. And uh, it was cool. You know, they were using only maple syrup for sweetener because that was mm-hmm. the only thing that was produced in honey. Right. And it was really interesting because on the one hand, like, it's this huge community thing, right, mm-hmm. because you're searching down producers who are actually making the things you want to eat and you also have to really rethink the way you eat and the Mm -hmm. staples that you eat and like what you base your meals around and everything right like yeah it was it's an interesting project it's an interesting book uh it's wildly impractical sure like most they had enough money to be able to like take this risk right well they're in vancouver itself exactly (laughs) i think they're outside of vancouver they're like rural bc but i think they moved from then you know into farming territory so they had more things available to them so that's the thing is that a lot of these books had a lot of privilege another one that really influenced me is called the dirty life with Kristen Mm kimball who i believe is still like she and her husband are still running their farm. They mm-hmm. were one of the first CSA farms. Okay. I think they were the first whole diet um, CSA farm. Okay. So the first farm to be like, we're going to do this, and it's not just going to be a produce box. We're right. going to do dairy and eggs and meat, um, and it's going to be all year long, and we're going to just provide like whatever the farm can provide all year right. long, Yeah. which is very cool. Yeah. Um, but again, like... She is somebody who was a journalist making money and then she made money off of the book. And, you know, there's we're not all writing books about this. Mm -hmm. We're not all getting paid for this. Um, And I think that's really important because like the books are not it's not a Bible. Mm -hmm. It's not a it's not a recipe. You Mm -hmm. know, it's an experiment. When people are doing the 100-mile experiment, it's an experiment. And they're doing it because they can commit to it and because they think it will be fun. And they don't continue doing it after the year. They do the year. They talk about it. They say, okay, we found out this, this, and this are the most impactful Mm -hmm. ways to eat locally. But, like, yeah, we're going to eat chocolate, you know, until the chocolate supply completely dries up because the entire chocolate industry is on a wing and a prayer yeah and child labor um yeah i swear this is a positive podcast but no i mean i I think that's exactly it right it's it's these are not books that you're supposed to read in order to learn how to live your life step by step yeah right these are you know almost case studies these are these are memoirs yeah it's like you take the study you take the results of the study and you decide what you're going to do with it. Yeah. It's like I did read, uh, last year I read uh, a book by Alice Waters mm-hmm. about, uh, I think it's called We Are What We Eat or You Are yeah, What You Eat. Something, something like that. to that effect. I, I talked about it in a previous episode. And it's very much about this kind of stuff, right? It's her whole philosophy around how she you know, thinks about food and what foods she'll serve in her restaurant and what she'll buy and how she'll do it. And all the kind of you know, reasons that that is a good thing to do. And I came out of it feeling like, yeah, you're right. 
also <laughs> I can't do 90% of this yeah. but like you're right <laughs> well and, and I mean that's the thing is like we talk about this all the time but ultimately living outside of the capitalist system that we live in is a privilege mm -hmm. it's extremely difficult to do for most of us yeah. and so we're always just trying to find little ways to mm -hmm. bring you joy to yeah. give you joy and to give you connection and to like get in touch with the humanity of food because food is consummately human yeah Speaking of finding ways to live outside of the capitalist society that we live in and uh, provide you with little ways to have joy in your food and money, let's go to the mid-roll so we can tell you how you can help us do those things. If you want to have essentially the podcast equivalent of a CSA box, uh, uh, head to patreon.com and find our podcast. Mm. Uh, please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. And while you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend, which mm. is the, you know, direct no middleman way to support us. Uh, for every new rating and review we get during the month of July, we'll be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG, who uh, actually do prioritize mm -hmm, local mm -hmm. food and yeah. getting people in touch with with local producers yeah. and also producing food locally yeah they can turn every one dollar into three dollars worth of food for a family in need so by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show you're functionally donating six dollars worth of food to people who need it the depot is really great we used them a lot back in our leaner days uh yeah. and yeah yeah there's literally no other way to turn zero into $6 worth of food unless you're harvesting seeds, growing them yourself. But, you know, most of us aren't doing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, things that get sent out monthly that enrich your life in tasty ways, uh, we reached our $50 a month goal over on Patreon uh, just this past couple weeks ago. There's a sentence for you. And uh, later this week, we will be launching the No Bad Food Recipe Club. Uh, basically, the recipe club is going to be almost like a newsletter that we put out once a month where we share some new recipes for you to try, usually around a theme or an ingredient. And, uh, you know, you can try out our ideas, share your ideas, you know, talk about them in our Discord, share them with your family and friends. And uh, if there's ones that you guys share that we get extra excited about, we might talk about them on the show or on our socials. Uh, just kind of a way to you know, chat with our community around this show about the things that we're eating and the things that we're excited about. Uh, so if that sounds cool to you and you're not already a member of our Patreon, please consider joining over at patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod today. I can tell you I'm also definitely thinking about uh, Recipe Club in a seasonal kind of way. Sure. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a good time. Yeah. Come, come be part of it at patreon.com. Uh, the only other thing here in the mid-roll is um, if you are uh, one of our listeners in New York, we'll be in you next week. We'll be in the city. We'll be in the city next week, specifically. Uh, so if you've got any recommendations of things we should eat while we're there, please tell us. We're, we're coming. We're going to gonna be in New York for like a day and a half. Yeah, maybe. So. <laughs> 36 hours to eat as much food as we possibly can. Yeah, hit us up. Yeah. So this episode could easily be a seminar. Yeah. People do whole degrees on this. Yeah. And I'm going to try to keep it tight. Sure. Um, but we have to talk more <laughs> about 
eating locally, seasonally, and how that relates to colonialism. Let's do it. And the big term here is food sovereignty. Uh, mm-hmm. And you should. <laughs> you guys thought I, I forgot about that, didn't you? <laughs> I was going to say you should look up food sovereignty, but I just had a little check here. So food sovereignty uh, as opposed to food security. Food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. And that is the like, that is the like formal definition from Mm -hmm. the U.S. Food Sovereignty Alliance. So beyond food security which is the right of people to have enough food on a daily basis, which is like, you know, a good place to start. But food sovereignty actually, it's not like a step up. It's a replacement. Food sovereignty instead of food security. Because food sovereignty says, I mean, food security is easier to access quickly, you know. but, But food sovereignty says a community should not be dependent on a broader system for food for good, nourishing, sustainable food. Right. And obviously, for obvious reasons, food sovereignty is very, very tied to indigenous movements Mm -hmm. um, because a huge part of the genocide in the Americas, in Australia, the, like, European colonialist genocide... Is has been stripping food sovereignty from communities. Mm-hmm. A really, really, really clear example of this is the Trail of Tears when the Cherokee were relocated from uh, the Cherokee Nation was relocated from Virginia, what is now Virginia, to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. which are just completely different. Yeah, uh, 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 biomes like completely different plants there, and and birds and game and. This community that had always lived in one region was suddenly relocated to a completely different region where the same, you know, cultivation techniques and hunting techniques and uh, water sources and everything uh, were not there anymore. And this is something that we've repeatedly done. And it is an act of genocide. I want to make that really clear that relocation is an act of genocide. Mm -hmm. I feel very strongly (laughs) about this as someone whose people (laughs) were genocided by relocation. Um, (laughs) So saying, why can't you just live somewhere else? This is why. This is why. There's no universal system that everybody can survive on. Yeah. We are... Creatures that live in small social bands and that live naturally in a in a symbiotic relationship with our environment. Mm-hmm. That is that is people are animals. That's right. what animals do. That's <laughs> yeah. what we do. Yeah. Is we live in a symbiotic relationship with the area that we've evolved in and we eat the food <laughs> and we degrade into the earth and then, you know, circle of life. Yeah. And industrialism and colonialism fucked all of that over. Yeah. And so basically, like a thing that happened in North America, in what we call North America and South America, is people from Europe came over here, right? And they had this idea that this land was empty and that the people who lived here were essentially animals, right? Like, and not in the sense of we're all animals, (laughs) but in the sense of like, can't teach us anything because we're more advanced. So Europeans came here and tried to farm as though it was Europe by clear-cutting forests, creating pastures, 
And something that has been coming very strongly out of the food sovereignty movement and movements of uh, indigenous people saying, hey, wait a minute, we have history. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with the uptick in forest fires recently, is that the forests that covered most of this continent were gardens. Right. The forests were very carefully cultivated and tended to have low labor food production. Mm -hmm. So... Yes, you don't have to till the fields and go grow your acres of potatoes. You can actually just tend this forest patch. And I mean, this is where the concept of food forests that's very popular comes from now. It's just like, oh, actually, surprise. Plants are pretty good at creating the environment they they need. No way. (laughs) um, This is something, if you're interested, a really good resource to learn more about this is Redwoods Rising. Um, I found them on TikTok. They have a wonderful TikTok. So Mm. if you're on TikTok, look them up. They're really, really informative. There's a great guy who does these videos. He's very charismatic. I like him a lot. But they're essentially a project uh, that are working on restoring the health of redwood forests. So not just planting a whole bunch of baby redwoods, but like actually talking with the indigenous peoples of the region to say how is it that you tend to this area right and how can we support a healthy forest Mm -hmm. not just plop a bunch of saplings down and call it a day right yeah so europeans came here tried to farm everything like it was europe that's how we end up with the dust bowl Mm -hmm. because when you don't have tree roots holding the ground down nothing's holding the ground down and the windstorms can just whoosh Mm-hmm. We didn't learn our lesson a hundred years ago with the Dust Bowl. No. Um, and now we have forest fires all over northern Quebec and Ontario. Mm-hmm. And that is because for decades now, uh, corporations have been saying, oh, you know what? We're going to make up for cutting down trees by planting new trees. If you're Canadian, you probably know somebody who went tree planting. <laughs> yeah. You probably know somebody who went for a summer, planted a whole bunch of baby redwoods or firs all over some slope in BC. Right? Oh, yeah. I know someone who I had a I had a teacher in high school who told us a story about how, you know, when he was our age, he spent a summer in BC planting trees and uh, a moose got lured into his cabin by oh one of God. his roommates uh, because they were making bacon and the moose came by their back door and walked in and they started feeding it bacon. <laughs> because Canada, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think my my sister who tree planted many years in a row was in a tent. But yeah, that was so that was the big thing, right? Yeah. Like 90s, early 2000s, that was the thing you did mm-hmm. if you were like an environmental youth. And now 20 years later, when these trees are now big trees, we are getting crazy out of control forest fires. Mm-hmm. Because the way a forest works is not chop down all the adult trees, plant a bunch of baby trees. Right. And let them grow and then chop them all down and plant a bunch of baby trees. The way the forest works is you have fallen logs, adult trees, adolescent trees, baby trees. And they all help each other. And there are never all trees at the same period of life. Because if you have a forest fire wash through and there's a whole bunch of old growth trees and logs and things they burn differently from all the 20 year old trees that are now going up like brush in northern quebec are you trying to tell me that trees cannot survive if we only have one generation of trees exist at a time (laughs) surprisingly so they're like people (laughs) yeah they're kind of like people no so like i said um I'm trying not to make this two hours long. Sure. There's a lot here. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, I'm kind of like, uh, go research food sovereignty because it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, But it just, it turns out that 
trying to create a global system doesn't work mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we are not only geographical creatures we're micro environment creatures right we're biome and microbiome like we like uh not microbiome we're climate and microclimate right like mm -hmm. And you know that if, like, yeah, I went to Toronto recently, which is not that far away, and they it's, it's completely different. They're in a different season sure, because yeah. bodies of water and mountains and trees, <laughs> all yeah. of this affects us. And when we're doing things like continuing to try to farm Quebec as though it's England or France, Sorry, I should have said France first. Um, we're going to continue having issues. And yeah. we're, you know, if we continue to try to deforest to have all our wood at the same time, we're going to continue to have fires. Mm -hmm. And one, I mean, obviously we are individuals and the issue is corporations. And there's not a ton we can do, but there are little things we can do. Yeah. And now I'm going to talk about the joy. Yeah. Eating seasonally brings me so much joy. And that's why I do it. Sure. I don't do it because I think it's going to stop global warming because no. like that that ship has sailed. Yeah. I don't do it because I think it makes me a good person. I do it because it ties me intently to the land where I live. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I hate winter. I yep. have, well, I may have seasonal depression, but my take on that <laughs> is that it's another situation where we're always trying to level everything out mm -hmm. everybody's always fucking talking about consistency mm -hmm. right everybody's yeah. like the way you get not depressed and you get healthy and you get rich is to do the same thing at the same time every single day always and you never let up and like to me that sounds like a great way to burn out sure um but it's the same thing as like consistency right the way you farm is you turn California into not a desert mm -hmm. by diverting the Colorado River. And that's how you farm. Instead of going like, hey, what grows in California? Right. How can we feed the people in California mm -hmm. with what grows in California? Instead of flooding it and creating rice patties in a desert. Right. But it's the same thing with this consistency thing where it's like, do the same thing every day. Well, no, actually, what people do, what we did for millennia is... We harvest a lot and eat a lot and store a lot during the nice, long, sunny days. And then in the winter, our job is to survive. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. the darkest, coldest time, our job is to eat that food and stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also think that seasonal depression is a product of capitalism. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny, like, you, you talk about the thing of, like, feeling joy when you eat seasonally. Yeah. And, like... Have we talked much about terroir on the show before? We haven't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so without getting way too into it, terroir is a concept that uh, we talk about a lot with wine and cheese, especially. But like, spoilers, anything can can have that kind of effect if it grows in a place. Yeah. Uh, and essentially, it's this idea that like the climate and the the I mean the the geographical location where a thing is created affects the way that that thing tastes right whether mm -hmm. that's the soil whether that's the like what do you call them bacteria in the air whatever it is the water mm -hmm. you know people talk about you know it's the water that makes the pizza in New York good or whatever and it's true yeah like whatever the thing is terroir is what we we talk about with that and the idea that eating locally and seasonally brings you joy makes just a lot of sense when you think about the fact that like, you know, you are constantly breathing the air and drinking the water of the place where you are. So are the crops and animals that you consume if you are eating locally. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit with sourdough, actually. When we yeah. did the, the sourdough episode, we talked about terroir, and I, I think that's such an excellent example of yeah. it. But it also brings me joy because I feel in sync sure. with where I live. Sure. And I feel like, yeah, I'm feeling sad because it's winter, and so is the earth, and it's not producing anything. Yeah. (laughs) Or just the absolute sheer excitement of having the first local produce in the store. Yeah. The, like, the, the, just like, oh my God, this came from Quebec. Strawberries? Yeah. Let me tell you. I know we just talked about strawberries. I know we just had a whole episode. But the absolute joy of eating local strawberries and just, you know that they're not here for long. Yeah. So there is absolutely no hesitation. Like, there are local strawberries in the grocery store. Those are coming home every single time I go to the the grocery store. And, like, when you think about it, like, we as people one we are deeply deeply relational Mm -hmm. so we love and we feel most fulfilled when we are in relationship with other things and other people so if you are doing things that connect you to the place where you live that's a relationship if you're doing things that connect you with the farmers who are growing the food that's a relationship it's going to bring you joy and fulfillment on a deeper almost spiritual level than if you just like go buy a pack of look don't get me wrong fucking love Ritz crackers. Oh God, yes. I don't know Mr. Ritz when I when I choose to go to the grocery store and put on the Ritz. I am not building a relationship with anything except sodium, but I'm enjoying the sodium yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. But when you get to actually build that relationship with the local growers, that is something that it just fucking feels good. And two, the routine of it all, right? Yeah. The, the, the routine of looking forward to a thing all year and knowing... Yeah. Oh, there's a new season of fucking Stranger Things coming out on X day. I get to look forward to it. I get to hype it up. We could do the exact same thing with our fruits and vegetables. You can do it with food. Yeah. You can do it with food. I do it every single year with food. You know what happened today? I went to the grocery store and I saw the first Ontario peaches, which are the only local peaches we have. Like they're kind of far away, but they're closer than any other peaches we get here. And they're delicious. They're really good. They're so good. And I feel, except for the one year that they were all mealy, that was so depressing. Um, And I took them home and I had... I've already eaten two of them. Yeah. They are so good. And that's the thing is it becomes a holiday. You mentioned this being um, spiritual. And I've talked before that I like I practice green witchcraft, which is essentially just a like exciting, sexy way of saying I pay a lot of attention to the seasons. But the Wheel of the Year that's in uh, Celtic and a lot of European pagan practices um, it has eight seasons and they're based on like harvest and planting mostly. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, they're based on the, the the equinoxes and solstices. But like, you know, right now we're between the like kind of last planting one and the first harvest one, Letha, which is like the beginning of August. Um, or Lunasad, rather, which sure, is the beginning yeah. of August, which is like, yay, harvest. And like, you just celebrate fruits and veggies. And it's so nice. Yeah. There's the one that's like in bulk at the very... Uh, in in spring, which here is it's still winter, and in, in Europe it's spring, but um, and you have a lot of dairy because it's when the it's when the cows come home. Yeah, it's when the cows start having their babies and the sheep start having their babies, so yeah. you start having milk, which yeah. like you wouldn't have if you didn't have a constant dairy production. Well, right. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's ways, and it's just fun. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It makes everything. It makes going to the grocery store an exciting and fun experience, and it makes. It gives you something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And even like even winter, because winter there's nothing growing, but I can be like, okay, 
when all of this stuff is in season, when there are peaches in season and cucumbers in season and strawberries in season, I want to eat those. But then when all of those are out of season and I still have my root veggies, I can be like, ooh, I'm going to make a really nice root veggie soup. And that's not something I was going to do when I could be eating freshly harvested things constantly. Yeah. And I crave greens like all winter in springtime. It's it's like craving anything else. Like I will be craving green things and then I get to eat them. And it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's so nice. It's it's so great. I love it. That's why I eat seasonal leaf. Like like point final. Like it's just yeah. it's fun and nice and good. Yeah. Uh you wanna start eating seasonally? Find some farmers. Buy their stuff. Uh, if you don't have social anxiety like I do, talk to them. Mm-hmm. I have social anxiety, so I'm just going to buy their stuff and then run away if they talk to me. Yeah. Because I just started having like heart palpitations even thinking about talking to yeah. somebody. But then actually, though, when we were at the market, I got myself some bee pollen along with the honey. And the guy was so excited about his bee pollen. And he had so much to say to me about the <laughs> bee pollen and how I should eat it. And it was lovely another fun terroir point if you eat local honey if you have access to local honey it helps with seasonal allergies because you get to microdose the pollen it's good for you it's good for the planet and it will make you happy yeah seasonal food seasonal food and it's good for the local economy too which is you know we didn't talk about that too much but like that's always good yeah we talked about it Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and food sovereignty Look it up. Learn about it. There are so many people doing uh, really, really wonderful things. A great book called Held by the Land, which I got out of the library recently. It's Pacific Northwest, but it's it's definitely a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very excited for anybody who hasn't gone on this journey to start it because it's just like so fun. Yeah. It's so great. Well, thank you for sharing all that knowledge. Anytime. And thank you, listeners for coming on this whole journey with us. Maybe we'll do a part two about this stuff at some point. Yeah, we should get somebody who actually is a food sovereignty person to come in and Mm -hmm. talk about food sovereignty because, like, I can talk about it from what I've read, but ultimately I am not a person who is doing that work. Right, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go eat another peach now. I'm going to watch One Piece. (laughs) I will also do that. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Do you want to share your, you know, local discoveries with us and things that you're excited about? Uh, Hit us up on the socials at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teffer Bear and at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate. For as little as $1 a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Chantal H., Gab, Thomas, Erica, Andrew, Chantal T, David, Mallory, Sarah, Nell, Carol Ann, Rachel, and Aslam. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics or episodes of the show, and access to our patron-only Discord server, where you can chat about uh, the recipes that you're excited about as part of our recipe club! So if any of that is exciting for you, which it should be because you made it to the end of the show, head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to make it happen. We also have merch. Uh, you can display your joy in strawberries with a Strawby Bobby Hoggy Doggy shirt uh, <laughs> or just, you know, rep the show with a No Bad Food shirt or bag or apron. Um, you can Snap hit the back. merch blink. The merch blink. 
You can blink. You can blink the merch. You can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our friends over at Podcavern. Was it Toby who was calling it a Reese's peanut cupboard the other day? He said Reese's peanut cupboard. He sure did. (laughs) And of course, you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with an amigo. Our theme music is by Zach Local Yokel Ingalls, and our cover art is by David (laughs) Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, the show was produced by me, Tom Zalatni, and mostly you, Tefra Jemmy, and edited, <laughs> edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Podcavern Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at www.podcavern.com. See you in New York. No Bad Food is a proud member of the Podcavern Network. For more great shows like this one, head to podcavern.com. Hello, folks. I'm Katie. I'm Vinny. And we host the Learn Real Good podcast. It's a comedy podcast about science. It's also a science podcast with comedy. Each episode, we interview a science grad student about their research. And we keep it casual so you don't need to be a nerd to follow along. We also share some of the latest science newts. I think you mean the latest science news. Well, people need to hear more about amphibians. I agree with that. So look us up on your favorite podcast source and learn learn real good. good. Presented by the Podcavern Newtwork. Uh, close enough.